Make Walters your spot for the Women's World Cup as Team USA looks to three-peat, located across the street from Nationals Park and open seven days a week. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another exciting day here uh, at Nationals Park. Over the years that I've been here, uh, we've been here many times, and few occasions could match the excitement uh, that we have today. You know, to get into the organization, uh, one of the most decorated, accomplished, uh, winning type of players in collegiate history uh, uh, to join the Washington Nationals uh, is a special uh, occasion for us. Without further ado, it is my pleasure and honor to introduce our new outfielder for the Washington Nationals, Dylan Cruz. Emotions are, you know, going through the roof right now. I just, I feel just accomplished and just knowing that all the hard work is paying off. Like I said, looking back, uh, I really don't think I'd be in this position without surrounding myself with the right people and sacrificing a whole lot to get to this point. I'm ready to get going, you know, uh, the game doesn't change, you know, everybody's nameless and faceless, so I'm ready to get going and, uh, you know, uh, just play the game I've always been playing. 2-0 on call, runners first and second, one out. Two runs home, here's the set of the pitch. Swing and a line drive toward the gap in right center field. No one's going to get to that one, one hop off the big wall. This is going to clear the bases, Cole's trying for three, relay to third, not in time. In with a pop-up slide and a triple his first of the year. Two runs batted in for Alex Cole. And the Nationals have a pretty good crooked number on the board now here at the bottom of the second. It's Washington 4 and San Francisco nothing. Now the 0-1. Swing a ground ball up the middle. This is going to sneak its way through. A seeing eye hit. Candelario will score. Over to third, Ruiz. It's now 10-1. And welcome to Nat Chat for Sunday, July 23rd, 2023. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman continues to be off for the weekend, but I'm again joined by the man who runs this podcast, Tim Shovers, a man who got some extended camera time on Saturday afternoon during the Dylan Cruz press conference. The people who got the most camera time, Dylan Cruz, Scott Boris, and Tim Shovers. That's how it was <laughs> during this presser on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, the Nats on Saturday officially signed the man who they took on July 9th with the number two overall pick in the 2023 MLB draft, LSU outfielder Dylan Cruz. So we on Saturday afternoon had this press conference at Nationals Park, a presser at which Scott Boris teared up. More on that later in the show. Also later in the show, comments from LSU head coach Jay Johnson on Dylan Cruz. But we on Saturday night at Nationals Park had a dominant Nats win, a 10-1 thrashing of the San Francisco Giants as 
The Nats have won each of the first two games in this series. The Nats on Saturday night, six runs in the bottom of the second, four runs in the bottom of the fourth, finished the game with 14 hits and two walks, won a terrific eight for 14 with runners in scoring position. The Nats improved to 40 and 58. They are taking it to a Giants team that is overall having a nice season, although has not been playing well lately. Tim, Saturday was uh, quite the day for the Nats. Yeah, really great vibes all around the ballpark, Al. Starts with the press conference. It was really exciting. Huge crowd on hand four hours before first pitch. Cruz then took BP, which was fun to watch. Also worked really well because C.J. Abrams was doing a Q&A with Dan Coco before the game. So there are a bunch of season ticket holders who were there early for that, and they had the extra pleasure to watch Cruz take BP. And then obviously the win, which... The game was basically over in the second inning, and then it was just kind of a, a few hours of just sitting back, relaxing, and watch the Nats pound a good team, a team that might be headed to the playoffs later this year in San Francisco. For I know it's been a tough few years for Nats fans, but Saturday, uh, this was a real highlight. Did Scott Boris say anything to you after the press conference about you taking up so much of his camera time? He did not, but I will say this out. I did talk to Scott Boris off mic on the field, no joke, during BP, and I quickly just said, hey... Scott, when do you think Dylan's going to get called up? What's his MLB timetable? Sidestep the question. He then started talking about J.D. Drew, a past client of his. So we had a nice exchange for about a minute there. He seemed happy with the amount of camera time he had. He did say, though, Tim, make sure you don't take up my honored TV slot during the winter meetings. That's his big time of year, you know, with the media. So he said, as long as you're, you could do what you do in D.C., but at the winter meetings, that's all me. Well, nobody holds court at the MLB winter meetings on an annual basis, quite like Scott Boris. He is a master of that. I give him all the respect in the world uh, for the job he does in that regard. Well, like I said, we'll do a lot more on the Dylan Cruz presser coming up in a bit. But yeah, the Nationals offense uh, was alive on Saturday night, no doubt. And this six-run second inning really was something. So we have seen the Nats have big innings this season. You know, we've talked about this, how the Nats offense at times does look great. It's just the overall body of work that has not been so great. But the Nats, when they're on offensively, can be quite the offensive team. I mean, the Nats in this game on Saturday night ripped a starting pitcher who's having a good season, Logan Webb. He finished the game six runs in one and a third innings. Understand, Logan Webb, even with that final line, has an ERA this season now of 348. Like, he's having a good season. The Nats got to him big time in this game on Saturday night. But I have to say this, and this really stood out about this six-run second inning. It started with three marathon plate appearances that all wound up with Nationals getting on base. Joey Manessis had a leadoff nine-pitch single, despite having been down in the count at 1.02. Kate Ruiz worked a 10-pitch walk, despite having been down in that count at 1.12. And Dominic Smith, a 10-pitch RBI single for a one nothing Nats lead, despite having been down in that count at 1.02. Three outstanding plate appearances to ignite that six-run second inning. Manessis, Ruiz, Smith, and the Nats were off and running. You got a Corey Dickerson RBI single. You got an Alex Call two-run triple. You got a C.J. Abrams two-run homer. There's a lot to get into with Abrams, who is just killing it right now. And also Alex Call, who has been quite the offensive force since being brought back up. But man, what a way to start that inning. And of course, what an inning that six-run second inning ended up being for the Nats. 
Yeah, just think Logan Webb got two outs in the first inning on three pitches and then had a one, two, three inning, and then he doesn't even make it out of the second inning. A bit of whiplash there. And as you said, funny things happen when the leadoff guy gets on base. Manessas set the table and they went from there. And it was good to see Corey Dickerson contribute there. I know it's been a tough year for him. And then Alex Call with the big triple right before CJ Abrams came up, and then Abrams hit the homer. It's six to nothing. And next thing you know, Webb is out. Sean Manaya is in. Sean Manaya had a bit of a garbage duty for a guy that threw a no-hitter once, and you felt that the Nats were one punch away from really knocking out the Giants, and that's exactly what they did a few innings later. Yeah, they did. That four-run fourth inning, the Nats getting to Manaya in that inning. Manaya in this game, four runs in five and two-thirds innings. So, you know, you shine a spotlight on some of the Nats players who had especially good days on Saturday night. I mean, the Nats in this game had five guys each with two hits in the game. Every Nationals player in the lineup on Saturday night had at least one hit, and seven of the nine players each had at least one RBI, and all nine of the players scored at least a run. I mean, this was about as... uh, even Steven of a distribution of offensive output as we've had in an ads game this season. But yeah, CJ Abrams, I mean, we keep talking about this and that's just fine because I want him to keep doing this. He was awesome again, batting in that number one spot. Abrams on Saturday night as an ad starting shortstop and number one batter on his bobble night, no less. Two for five with a two-run homer and a single. He, in that six-run second, had the one-out two-run homer to right center field for a 6 nothing Nats lead. And Abrams, in the bottom of the fifth, a two-out first-pitch single to right center field. You know, we've been highlighting the numbers for Abrams since he moved to that number one spot. But consider for a moment just Abrams in this month of July period. Because remember, he had been doing better, which is what prompted Davey Martinez to bump Abrams up to that number one spot. Now, the better had come over a small sample of games. But yes, Abrams had been better. He, in this month of July now, batting average at 373, on base percentage of 422, a slugging percentage of 593. I mean, those slash line numbers are so much better than what Abrams had been doing so far this season. I mean, Abrams in the month of June slashed to the tune of a 216 batting average, a 247 on base percentage, and a 338 slugging percentage. He really had been underwhelming as a hitter for so much of this season. Like I said, the month of June did not go well. He has like flipped a switch in this month of July. He is batting like an MVP candidate in this month of July. And, you know, one of the things I've said on this podcast is I think it matters a ton, the kind of season that C.J. Abrams ends up happening. I think you could argue that how he does the rest of this season matters more than how any other Nats player does the rest of this season. If he ends his season strong, and he's certainly off to a good start in trying to end his season strong, I think that completely changes the narrative on his year. But what a month C.J. Abrams is having. It really is. And Al, you say that the narrative of C.J. Abrams, if C.J. Abrams continues this for the final two months of the season, I think it changes the entire narrative of the state of the team. I mean, this is the franchise shortstop or the guy that they hope is going to be the franchise shortstop. And it would certainly just add another nail in the coffin of how great really the Juan Soto trade has been for the Nats. If you think about it, I know it's a prickly subject for some people, but you pointed out how well he's been hitting in his OPS well over a thousand this month. I mean, just compare it, as you said, you're running through it at the end of April. I mean, he's at 235. The OPS is barely over 700 and it's like, you know, three airs on opening day. And it's just like, where is this going? You know, but it is completely flipped. And also, I don't know if you've noticed, Al, in BP the last two days, CJ has been wearing a Nats basketball jersey. 
And, you know, we all know how superstitious baseball players are. I'm guessing that's going to continue on to Sunday and the rest of this homestand. And if he keeps this hot stretch up, I have a feeling that a lot of people are going to start wearing Nats basketball jerseys that are number five Abrams. Well, listen, the Wizards are going with a youth movement, so maybe Michael Winger should call up C.J. Abrams and see if uh, he can help out our Wizards. Listen, the Wizards need all the help that they can get. That's another conversation. But yeah, more excellence from C.J. Abrams. We are seeing excellence lately from Kate Ruiz. You know, speaking of a potential Nats building block who had not been having a very good season but is having a really good month of July, Kate Ruiz has become like an on-base machine in recent games here. So Kate Baird on Saturday night as an ad starting catcher and number five batter, two for three with an RBI single, another single, and a walk. He and that Nats six-run second drew that 10-pitch walk despite having been down at 1.12. Kate Baird in the bottom of the third had a one-out single to left center field despite having been down at the count at 1.12. And Kate Baird in the Nats four-run fourth, a two-out opposite field RBI single through the right side of the infield on a 1-2 pitch for a 9-1 Nats lead. You know, if you were at this game or if you were watching this game or listening to this game, it really was something. Like it was one hit after another for the Nats in that six run second and then in the four run fourth. It was batting practice for the Nats in this game against Giants pitching over those two innings. But Cape Ruiz, who, like I said, had not been having a good season, you know, we've talked about him offensively speaking. A lot of good process numbers, but not a lot of good result numbers. Well, the results for this month of July for K-Bert Ruiz, a batting average of 306, an on-base percentage of 358, a slugging percentage of 510. C.J. Abrams, I think, leads the way in terms of Nationals position players having great Julys. But K-Bert Ruiz is number two. I feel like maybe this is sneaking up on some people. But he has all of a sudden started to produce the results that we've all been begging for him to produce as a batter. Count me in as one of the people that snuck up on. I'm going to read for you his game log ever since the final game right before the All-Star break. That was on Sunday, July 9th against the Texas Rangers. He had a pair of hits there, All-Star break, coming out of it in St. Louis. Two games he plays, he gets hits in those. Then they move into Wrigley Field. He gets three hits in the first game. He gets two hits in the second game, gets another hit then in the series finale. And then he's had hits in these games here in this in the homestand. He's had a hit in every single game that he's played since July 9th. So that's it. It is you talk about Abrams leading the way, but Ruiz is right there. And that slash line of 510 for the slugging percentage, that's got to have you really, really excited. Yeah, I mean, it's not something that we had seen a lot of, you know, Cape Ruiz hitting for power. And, you know, for all of the talk about the good process numbers and the good stat cast numbers, like at the end of the day, especially for a player, that stuff's only going to do so much for you. Like you really need the results, okay? I don't know how many guys after a game in which they go 0 for 4, but hit the ball hard four times say, well, golly gee, I did my job in this game. Like, yeah, you may say to yourself, especially intellectually, you know, I'm doing some good things out there. I'm just not getting the results. But at some point, we're all human. Like, you want to see the results. You want to have, you know, good basic box score numbers. And uh, I'm happy for Cape Ruiz that we are seeing those numbers in this month of July. I mean, you think about it. Abrams and Ruiz, right? Maybe the two most important Nationals position players at the major league level right now. So to see those two guys having good months of July is awesome. And someone else who is having a really good month of July, and I feel like this has probably snuck up on everyone in terms of anticipating this, Alex Call. He is answering the call in the second go-round form as the Nats every game starting center fielder this season. So 
I think most people listening know the Alex Call situation by now, in case you don't. So he made the Nats regular season opening Major League roster, but they on June 16th optioned him to AAA Rochester due to his offensive struggles. Well, the Nats on July 5th recalled Call from AAA Rochester, and ever since, this guy has been like a different batter. So, you know, he was good defensively in that first go-around at the majors this season, but what he's doing now is bringing both defense and offense. Call in this game on Saturday night as an ad starting center fielder and number nine batter, one for three with a two-run triple and a walk. Call in that six-run second, a one-out, two-run opposite field triple to the right center field gap for a 4-0 Nats lead. Call in that Nats four-run fourth drew a walk. So, you know, as we're throwing bouquets at guys having good months of July, take a listen to the Alex Call slash line for this month. So his batting average for the month is only 233. If all you do is go by the batting average, you'd say, what's the big deal? Well, his on-base percentage for the month of July, 340. Terrific. His slugging percentage for the month of July, 512. So this guy, through the prism of the OPS numbers, OBP and slugging, really doing a good job offensively. And look, anything from him offensively is, I think, at least a modest surprise given just how underwhelming he had been offensively earlier this season. And I mentioned the defense, something from the 5-3 win on Friday night was a great catch by Alex Cole. Top of the fifth for the second out, he made this great leaping catch against the wall for a first pitch flyout by Brett Wisely. Play initially was ruled a hit, the thinking was that the ball hit the wall, but Davey Martinez successfully challenged the play. You know, look, this Victor Robles situation is concerning in that he's out with this back ailment and it doesn't feel like he's coming back anytime soon. But in the meantime, the Nats are getting some good production from Alex Cole. Yeah, so that was just going to say with the Robles part, you laid out all the positives. Let's look at it from the Robles perspective. In May, he goes on the IL, initially 10 days with the back spasms. That's still the case, basically, right? He came back for, what, a night and... On Friday, Davey Martinez quickly mentioned, No change on Victor. He's still strengthening. I don't know when Victor Robles is coming back. This is, uh, as they say, a developing situation. So now Alex Call is getting the call to be in center field every single day, and it seems like he's responding to it very well, getting that opportunity, you know, instead of being part of like a four- to five-man outfield platoon and not exactly having his set role, he's had it this month, and he's taking great advantage since getting called up from Rochester And uh, I don't know where this one's going. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here with this one, but it's great to see. And you definitely know at least that Davey Martinez can pencil him in in center field for the final two months, it looks like, at least a month, and that he should be a very serviceable center fielder for the Nats which Derek Hill clearly wasn't in his brief stay at center field. No, he wasn't. He certainly struggled. And, you know, bigger picture, obviously, what Abrams and Ruiz are doing matters a lot more than what Call is doing. I mean, I don't think Alex Call really is taking you anywhere. But at least if he can hit well for you, you know, that's something. And, you know, maybe you have him as a key backup outfielder uh, for a little while here. And, And they're obviously is value in that. I mean, I don't think anyone is viewing Alex Call as a building block, but he's doing well, and uh, he does deserve credit for that. Dominic Smith is actually hitting better. He on Saturday night as an ad starting first baseman and number six batter, two for four with two RBI singles. A Smith for this month of July now, batting average of 291 on base percentage of 350, a slugging percentage of 473. Uh, Luis Garcia, had a multi-hit game in this game on Saturday night. He is a starting second baseman, a number eight batter, went two for four with two singles and a stolen base. And 
Tim mentioned him, Corey Dickerson. He has not done much for the Nats uh, this season, but uh, Dickerson on Saturday night as an Nats starting left fielder and number seven batter, two for four with an RBI single and another single. I mean, up and down the lineup, the Nats got production in this game. And, you know, watching this, I'm saying to myself, and this is, I feel like this is a thought you always have when your team isn't that good offensively. It's like, can we save some of these runs <laughs> for a different game? Even though, of course, that makes no sense, right? But it's like, after that six-run bottom of the second, you felt like, all right, the Nats are in pretty good shape here. I mean, they're up 6 nothing going into the third inning. And, you know, we saw what we saw on Saturday night. We saw actually a pretty good offensive game for the Nats the previous game, but we know how it is with this team. Like this team could score one run on Sunday afternoon. Like you just don't know with these guys, but you do see it. Like this offense is capable of being really good. And uh, obviously we saw that in this game on Saturday night. Yeah, this offense is much better than the 2022 offense. You know, I mean, they've had their low moments this year, but they have nights not quite like this one all the time, but they you know, put up some crooked numbers here and there. And obviously this month has clearly been their best offensive month. And I have more good news for you. Come Monday, Al, you know who comes to town? The Colorado Rockies pitching staff. Now, though, it won't be in Coors Field, but that's still a really bad team. So uh, if the Nats can hit against San Francisco, then you'd have to think that they're in a good shape for when Colorado comes to town. You know things are going well when Tom Smith and Corey Dickerson are getting a bunch of hits on the same night, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, absolutely. So really good job by the Nats offense on Saturday night, and we ended up getting what ended up being a good outing from Josiah Gray. Now, you know, whenever you have a game in which the team scores a bunch of runs early, the formula, the thinking for the starting pitcher for that team always is, okay, you got a big lead. Don't overthink this. Just go out throw strikes, work quickly, eat up innings, and let's all go home happy. Well, Josiah Gray on Saturday night began his outing by walking three of the first five batters he faced. This looked like this could be yet another one of these Josiah Gray games in which he puts a lot of guys on base, is inefficient from a pitch count standpoint, doesn't eat up a lot of innings, and leaves you wanting more, even though the ultimate run prevention might be there. Remember, Gray was coming off what happened in the 8-4 loss at the St. Louis Cardinals last Sunday afternoon, July 16th. Gray in that game, four runs in five innings. He gave up 10 hits. He issued a walk and a hit by pitch. He threw a lot of pitches, 95 pitches over five innings. Well, Josiah Gray ended up settling down in this game on Saturday night, and he ultimately allowed one run in seven innings. So, Uh, Hard to complain about that, okay? One run in seven innings against, again, one of the better teams in the National League so far this season and the Giants. So he did walk three of the first five batters he faced, but he then settled down, did not issue a walk the rest of the outing. Ultimately, in the outing, gave up just four hits, a double, and three singles. He did not give up a homer. You know, he has started to give up some homers lately, but did not give up a home run in this game on Saturday night. He recorded four strikeouts. He threw 87 pitches. I mean, that was it over seven innings. That is a perfectly acceptable number of pitches for a seven-inning outing. 87 pitches, 58 strikes, versus 29 balls. So didn't necessarily start off in the best way, but ended up being another good outing in, of course, an overall good season for Josiah Gray. Yeah, I was really concerned when he started the game off with two walks right off the bat. Gets out of it, gets the double play to move on, then begins the second inning with another walk, and you figured, oh my gosh, he's going to walk six or seven guys tonight. But that was it. It was over from there in terms of walks. Four times this season, he's now thrown seven innings, which 
in 2023, you need to be commended for that, for doing that within the first four months of the season. Josiah Gray, I love how he bounced back after the rough outing against the Cardinals the other day. And, um, you know, even though the Nats had a huge lead, you know, every Nats fan knows that they want the bullpen in there as little as possible. So it was important for him to get those seven innings. And today's outing, the way it started, reminded me of one, I believe it was September of 2021. This is one of his first starts with the Nats after the trade. They were facing the Mets and Gray just had a case of the walks really early in the first inning. You could tell he didn't have it, and it was a really bad outing for him. And for him to start slow but then completely turn it around and have seven strong innings and get the easy victory, like that just wasn't in his bag a year or two ago. So on a day with so many things to be happy about, this is definitely something that deserves to be uh, highlighted. Yeah, he absolutely deserves credit for becoming better at sort of working his way out of jams, working his way out of bad spots, working his way out of being in a bad way. Now, you know, if you really want to pick at some nits, you'd say, well, it would be nice if he wasn't in the bad way to begin with. But look, he's a young pitcher. Like, you know, you're not going to just be great from the get-go, usually, if you're a good pitcher. Like, it's going to take some time. You're going to have to work through some growing pains. And, you know, we are seeing what is undeniably a step-forward season for Josiah Gray. Like, there's no other way to categorize the year that he's having. 20 starts now, an ERA of 345. He is putting guys on base. We've talked about that a lot on the pod. His whip for this season is at 144, but he has demonstrated an ability and aptitude for limiting the damage and, you know, demonstrating good run prevention. And we did not see that the last few seasons. You know, ERA is over five, giving up a bunch of homers. Like we are seeing an appreciably better Josiah Gray this year. And, uh, I was very happy that it did end up being one run in seven innings because, yeah, I think we all were thinking the same thing. He may only give up a run, but he's only going to last for like five innings with the way the outing was going with the three walks over the first five batters phased and things did then turn around. And then the Nats bullpen took things over and the bullpen for a second time in as many games in this series was just fine. Now, look, you know, no one's feeling great about the state of this Nats bullpen right now. But on Saturday night, two Nats relievers combined for two scoreless innings. So there you go. Who can complain about that? Rico Garcia made his Nats major league debut. He tossed a scoreless top of the eighth with two swinging strikeouts. Uh, the Nats this past Wednesday afternoon recalled Rico Garcia from AAA Rochester. They on July 15th signed Garcia to a minor league contract of him having been designated for assignment by the worst team in the majors and one of the worst teams of all time, or so it seems, uh, the Oakland A's on July 7th. But good job by Rico Garcia and then Joe LaSorsa, a perfect top of the ninth. So really zero drama in this game. A lot of fun stuff with the Nats offense in this game. Nats Park got loud in that six-run second inning on Saturday night. That was cool to see. And an overall feel-good day if you're a Nats fan, especially off what happened on Saturday afternoon. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfis has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half 
of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Hey, Nats chat. Need last-minute tickets to this Nats homestand? Check out the Game Time app. Friday night was date night at the ballpark for the wife and I, and it came through perfectly for last-minute tickets. Avoid the lines at the ticket window with the Game Time app. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you would know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey guys, I want to tell you about Factor. We on the Nats Chat Podcast talk all the time about who is and will be a factor for the Nats. Well, the factor that I want to tell you about is as good as any top-notch prospect. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and it can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. With Factor, you skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping and the prepping and the cleaning up too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Factor is fresh, never frozen meals already in just two minutes. So all that you have to do is heat up and enjoy. Treat yourself to 34 plus weekly restaurant quality options like bruschetta shrimp risotto, green goddess chicken, and grilled steakhouse filet mignon. Again, ready in just two minutes. Go to factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use the promo code natschat50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use that code natschat50 to get 50% off. Growing up, I used to always watch Bryce Harper play and, you know, it's one of my one of my favorite players growing up. So somebody who I look up to, you know, I'm... You know, I know a lot of the guys on the on the team and in the, in the organization, um, CJ, uh, House, um, Woods, you know, Yo-Yo Morales, who just got drafted. So I'm familiar with all the with all the faces here. So, you know, I think that's it's a good good start. And, you know, I think we're, we got a head start on this whole thing. So I'm ready to get going and, and competing with those guys. And it was on Saturday afternoon that we had the uh, introductory press conference, essentially, for the Nats' 2023 first-round pick in Dylan Cruz off him signing his contract officially earlier in the day. So you had at this press conference three people speaking, Cruz, his agent, Scott Boris, and the Nats' president of baseball operations and general manager, Mike Rizzo. So, Tim, you were at the presser. You asked, I thought, one of the most relevant questions at the presser, and that is, okay, when are we going to see you at the major league level? Uh, So here was that exchange, Tim Shovers asking Dylan Cruz about the timeline for his arrival in the majors. 
Dylan, what's your goal in terms of getting called up to the major leagues timetable? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I'm just going to play my game at the end of the day. You know, I'm going to do what I can to, uh, you know, try my best and, and uh, perform to uh, the highest I can, I can perform. And that decision's up to the Nats. And however fast I get up, you know, that's up to them. But I'm going to play my game at the end of the day. All right, so Dylan Cruz right there saying what I think he had to say in answering that question. But, you know, you mentioned earlier your chat with uh, Scott Boris about the timeline for Dylan Cruz to make it to the majors. What do you think? Like, if you had to put money on when he makes his major league debut, when do you think that'll be? If I had to put money on it, I would say July of 2024. So somewhere around the All-Star break next year, maybe even June, Mike Rizzo did say that he's going to start in West Palm. We're going to start in West Palm Beach, get acclimated to the organization, and then he'll he'll probably head somewhere in you know one of the A ball clubs uh, soon thereafter. But uh, it'll all be driven by by you know where he's at and uh, you know how rusty he is from the season and that type of thing. But I don't think it should be take very long for him to get into the swing of things and uh, and to get rolling. This was the main thing that Boris also told me was that he expects the bulk of Cruz's time before the major leagues to be spent at double A with Harrisburg, which is what we all would anticipate. That makes the most sense. I believe Bryce Harper had a similar sort of uh, timeline before he made it to the big leagues. I think, you know, if you want April or May, I think you're really, you know, asking for it a lot. But definitely by September of next year, obviously we have to see him face his first minor league curveball. But I'd be really surprised, barring injury, if it doesn't happen in the next calendar year. If it's not until 2025, I feel like something's gone awry here. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. That would be disappointing. I mean, the expectations are really high in terms of not just what he can be as a major league player, but how quickly he can become a major league player. And, you know, you might say, well, gee, that's really unfair. Well, that's also reality. I mean, again, he's not just any draft pick. He's not just any first round pick. This is one of the more hyped position players taken in an MLB draft in a long time. You know, for all of the talk about how Paul Skeens was the best pitching prospect since Steven Strasburg in 2009, there were a lot of things being said about Dylan Cruz, best position playing prospect since, you know, X. And go ahead and, you know, determine whoever your X may be. He was the number two overall pick in just about any other MLB draft. Cruz would have been the number one overall pick. The things that he did at LSU, I mean, it reads like, you know, Chuck Norris jokes what this guy did. I mean, Dylan Cruz this past season for LSU, which won the national championship, played in all 71 of the team's games. He reached base safely in all 71 of those games, okay? His entire season was a 71-game on-base streak. He had this ridiculous slash line of 426 567, 713. He won the 2023 Golden Spikes Award, uh, which is like the Heisman Trophy for college baseball, honors the top amateur baseball player in the country. And, you know, on and on we can go singing the praises of Dylan Cruz. So look, could it be a bigger adjustment to playing professional baseball than Roll anticipating? Sure. I mean, baseball has humbled a lot of people. But yeah, I would think by you know, June or July of next year, he's playing for the Nats at the major league level. You got to factor in the service time thing. You know, you're crazy if you don't, okay? You're not going to start his service time clock to where you lose that extra year of team control. But once that date passes, whenever that date is, I think the watch is 100% on in terms of when he'll be playing at the major league level. I thought this was interesting for Mike Rizzo on Saturday afternoon. Rizzo on now having Dylan Cruz as a key piece in the Nats rebuild. 
it's always great to to add a, a you know a keystone type of uh, player in the organization. Uh, you know, like I've said before, we we've been here before, and uh, and uh, when I was out and about seeing you know the, some of the top players uh, in the country this year, uh, I knew I had my pick when I left University of Mississippi uh, against LSU. So uh, it was something that uh, there was a lot of decision making, there was a lot of thought put into this. But you know, my instinct was when when I left that ballpark, I knew who we were taking. All right, so I thought it was really interesting slash funny to hear that Mike Rizzo said, I knew that Cruz was going to be the guy who we could take. When so many people think <laughs> that had the Nats had the opportunity to take Paul Skeens, the Nats would have taken Paul Skeens. I don't know if what Rizzo said right there is true or not. It certainly sounds good to hear. And I don't think it's like completely implausible that that's true. But I think it is kind of funny to hear that because a lot of people do think when it came down to Skeens and Cruz, the Nats did prefer Skeens. Yeah, my biggest takeaway from that particular moment was that Mark was right for the past few months when Mark kept saying it's going to be Skeens or Cruz, whoever Pittsburgh doesn't take, assuming they take one of them. And I know there was a chance that they could have picked Wyatt Langford or someone else, a high school guy to save some money. But Mark kept saying it's going to be one of the LSU guys, and that's exactly what Rizzo said. He's like, I went to that LSU Ole Miss game, and I walked away knowing I had my guy. So we now know, based off that, that it was really never about Wyatt Langford. And the second that Pittsburgh handed in the card for Paul Skeens, it seems like there was zero deliberation from the Nats standpoint as to who should go number two. Yeah, and I still maintain, I think the Nats are actually better off having gotten Dylan Cruz. Not that Paul Skeens would have been some terrible pick, or not that Paul Skeens may well not end up having some great career, but I just think there's a lot more certainty with a position player than there is with a pitcher. You know, I I think it's it's hard to see Cruz being a bust, okay? Like, of course, anyone can be a bust, and you always have to, you know, factor in the possibility of, well, if a guy gets hurt or ends up being injury prone, then all bets are off. But when it comes to position players of this magnitude, you know, of this ability, it's just hard to see this guy failing, you know, like maybe he ends up not being as good as we think, but it's hard to see this guy just end up being a flop. I mean, I, I, I think the likelihood of that is just so small. Like you're going to get at least a pretty good player, if not a good player, if not a great player in Dylan Cruz. I mean, I, I feel confident in saying that. All right. Then we had... The Scott Boris Show <laughs> on Saturday afternoon. So look, I get it. If you are turned off by the Nats now having yet another high-profile player with Scott Boris as the agent, I 100% understand where you're coming from on that. The unfortunate thing with Boris is that he's unavoidable, okay? The guy is really good at his job. He represents a lot of really good players. If you're going to have really good players on your team, you inevitably are going to have to do business with Scott Boris. Now, it does feel like the Nats have uh, had an overwhelming share of uh, Scott Boris clients over the years. But here we have another one now in Dylan Cruz. We know the deal with Scott Boris. He likes to spotlight. He likes to talk. He likes to be in front of the camera. And uh, sure enough, Boris on Saturday afternoon made his presence felt. Now, one of the things with Scott Boris that you're probably aware of is that he has had a very good relationship with the learners. He had an especially good relationship with the late Ted Lerner. So much so that Scott Boris on Saturday afternoon made it a point to relay that he wanted Dylan Cruz to meet Ted Lerner's wife, Annette Lerner. And Boris got emotional. I want to point out one other thing, if I may, is that today the final point of our negotiation was to ask that Annette Lerner come and meet Dylan and his family. And 
she came today. And she's a special lady, and we all have a very lost head. <clears throat> all right. So again, Tim, you were in the room. What'd you think when you heard that from Scott Boris? I did not see that one coming. That was a bit of a curveball there, unanticipated. And then right when he started talking about that, my ADD brain started thinking about the negotiations that the learners had with Boris before the Max Scherzer signing, you know, that sort of Nats lore, that meeting that happened in February or late January, and all of a sudden Max Scherzer's come to D.C. for $210 million. And it was just a reminder of all the, you know, as you said, all the great players the Nats have had in the last decade represented by Boris in the negotiations with the learners. And I will say another thing to that, Al, speaking to the head baseball coach for LSU, Jay Johnson, afterwards, one of the things that he made sure to say was that one thing he really respects about the Nats is that they always take the best player in the draft, that they don't screw around and try and get cute with slot money and things like that. And for all those people that get annoyed by Boris and are beyond sick of Boris, I get it. Trust me. I get it. However, let me ask you, if your son was a star baseball player coming out of college and he was going into the draft, who would you hire as your agent? If your answer is other than Scott Boris, I would love to hear your explanation as to why. Yeah, no, Boris is great at his job. I mean, you know, I like to have fun with Boris because he's just such a unique personality. He has this very large personality. You know, he's not shy about being out there and up in front of things, but he is very good at his job and you have to respect what he does. I mean, you may not like it as a fan. Okay. And often his best interests are in contrast to the best interests of your team, but that's not his problem. You know, like he does his job really well. He makes his clients a lot of money. And so, yeah, you know, it's basically unavoidable in dealing with him. Now, again, it does feel like the Nats have had to deal with him more than any other team has had to deal with him. But he does what he does quite well. And if your goal is to never have to negotiate with Scott Boris, well, good luck because, you you know, you're going to miss out on some good players. Also from Boris on Saturday afternoon was the explanation for why he wanted Dylan Cruz to meet a net learner. And Boris said, quote, We all built a championship here. And we did it with core players like Rendon and Harper and Strasburg and, and Worth. And to see this next generation come and with Mark and Judy and, and, uh, and having Annette here, I wanted the Cruz family and Dylan to meet that history, to share in it and watch it grow and let her meet the next future of the next generation of what Ted wanted. So putting aside the fact that the learners could be selling the team, you know, as soon as who knows when, okay? So like, you know, you talk about like meeting the next generation of learners ownership, okay, fine. But we know that Mark Lerner wants to sell this team. We don't know when that's going to happen. We don't even know if that's going to happen, but we know that that's there. That's a thing, okay? But how'd you like the usage of the pronoun we? (laughs) Scott Boris is speaking, all right? That was not Mike Rizzo speaking. That was Scott Boris speaking. We all built a championship here. That right there is Scott Boris in a nutshell. That's why I think it's okay to have some fun with Scott Boris and poke some fun at Boris when he speaks. Who else in the world of baseball agents would do that? Use a pronoun like we in talking about the Nats having won the 2019 World Series. Al, when he said that, when he said we, as if he was the general manager of the team, I wanted to 
carve a hole into the ground of the press room, and I wanted to jump through it. I felt so awkward. I couldn't believe that he said it. You could just sort of feel, you know when you're in a room and someone says something a bit awkward, and you could just feel the vibe and the energy off everyone else change in that moment while it's said and no one says a word out loud? That was definitely one of those moments. I couldn't believe my ears, and then I got a text immediately afterwards from a big listener who... uh clearly heard the same thing that I heard and and had some color commentary on it. And it was like, oh yeah, he actually said that. And then I got a kick out of, as you said, some of the clients Boris mentioned building the championship winner, those guys, some of them, Jason Worth and Bryce Harper, were not on the 2019 team. So I also sort of found that mention um, unusual as well, let's just say. Yeah. And of course, what do all of those guys have in common? Hmm. Rendon, Harper, Strasburg, Worth, what do they all have in common? Oh, yeah. They were all represented by Scott Boris. Very interesting that he went ahead uh, and mentioned all four of those guys. But you know what? He does something like that, uses the pronoun we. And I think that Boris knows exactly what he's doing when he does that. He knows that that's going to stand out And look at what we just did. We just spent a good chunk of this podcast talking about Scott Boris and saying the name Scott Boris over and over and over again, raising the profile of Scott Boris just a little bit more. So you know what? At the end of the day, what he did worked. You know, you may not like him. You may not like what he did, (laughs) but what he did actually ended up working. So yeah, that is Scott Boris. The Scott Boris experience never lacking for entertainment. But look, the more important thing is Dylan Cruz. He is signed. He is now officially part of the Nats organization. And uh, let the fun begin. And uh, we shall see how the professional career of Dylan Cruz ends up going. But look, if you go by the prospect rankings, if you just go by, you know, the feel with these guys, The Nats have two potential megastars in Dylan Cruz and James Wood. They are two of the top five prospects in baseball right now for Baseball America. The upside with each guy is to the moon. It is really exciting to think about what the Nats could have in both of these guys now. James Wood is having a sensational 2023 season. Cruz just had one of the single best collegiate seasons anyone has ever had. And for both of these guys to be part of the Nats organization is uh, really, really exciting. At Davey's press conference afterwards, so it was Dylan Cruz press conference at three, Davey had his typical pregame press conference at four, and then obviously the game started at seven. And in that Davey press conference today, just hearing some of the questions from other reporters You know, they were talking about the rebuild as if, not past tense clearly, but that we were close to getting out of it or evolving into that new phase, which made me happy because I knew that you and I, our conversation on Friday night, they got very positive at the end. We're not the only ones thinking that. And last year, especially early in the season in 2022, the team was terrible. There wasn't much going on in the farm system. There was very, very, very little to look forward to because remember Cake Volley was struggling a lot down in the minor leagues. And here we are now. It's a whole new ball game. And I just cannot wait till Dylan Cruz gets to the minors and is officially in the system. Yeah. And look, in the meantime, there's still a lot of work to be done. There's still a lot to be proven. Okay. The number one reason that we have this rebuild, the Nats bad drafting and player development, we still don't know if uh, that problem has been truly rectified. Okay. Like the Nats farm system is in better shape because the Nats have had some really high draft picks in recent years and the Nats cashed in the ultimate trade ship in Juan Soto. The farm system isn't better because all of a sudden the Nats have become outstanding at drafting. Like we can't say that yet. Now, maybe they've gotten better, but you know, we're a long ways away from saying 
that problem of drafting slash player development has been fixed. So there is work to do. You know, you certainly cannot plant the flag of victory just yet, but there are reasons for optimism, and we certainly want to highlight those. Well, you tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast. Uh, hit up Tim, see what we can do for you. That email address, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We have a website uh, that is natschatpodcast.com at which you can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. Uh, all Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. Nats Chat is on the radio Sunday mornings 11 to 12 on ESPN Richmond, which is 106.1 FM in the Richmond, Virginia area and ESPNRichmond.com online. So for Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. And we're going to leave you with comments from the head coach at LSU, Jay Johnson. Uh, who just won a national championship in uh, a really just terrific season authored by LSU, a terrific season that was led by Dylan Cruz. Jay Johnson on Dylan Cruz. Enjoy. Yeah, I mean, he was at 500, I believe, on May 1st. And, you know, we talked before the season of if you stay within yourself, if you don't try to do too much, you might be able to hit 500. And then it's, you know, May 2nd, we were playing Alabama. I look up on the scoreboard, and he's at 502. Remarkable. And just uh, he handles elite pitching well. And I think that's why he separated himself as the top hitter in maybe not this draft in several years because he he can step in a box and handle major league pitching right now in terms of controlling the strike zone, the bat speed, the combination of vision, recognition skills, managing the zone, hitting the ball hard on a line to all parts of the field, as he said. Um, He's great at all of it. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.